0: I want you this morning, as I get ready to get started here and get moving into things, I want you to imagine for a moment. I ask you to imagine a lot, all right? So this requires us to put on our thinking caps, all right? So everybody, put on your thinking caps. That's the time to do it. There we go. Thank you. I want you to imagine that you have the opportunity to take your child or you have an opportunity to take your grandchild, a niece, a nephew, some sort of a, a small child to the beach, all right? Everybody's like, I'm already there, man. You didn't have to have me imagine too much. And you've spent months building this trip up. I mean, you've got everybody excited. You've got this child excited about the beach, the clear water, the crashing waves, the white sand. There is no doubt that your child is excited to be on belief to get to the ocean. You're absolutely sure this is a can't-miss experience. I mean, like, what things do you put together that could be better than sand and water for a child? I mean, like, they're just made for each other. And as you pull up to the beach, you have to admit that the excitement is actually just built in you, too. Like, you're just a little kid in a candy shop, too. You can't wait for this. And all that separates you from seeing the sheer enjoyment on that child's face is just a a little small sand dune before you can hit the beach and you can enjoy the crashing waves. But as you leave the car and you prepare for the climb over those berms, you notice that the sole reason for your coming to the beach and making this trip The child that you have longed to see, enjoy this, and have an amazing experience isn't even interested in the ocean and the beach. Instead, he has been captivated by a mud puddle. Doesn't that sound so kid-like though, right? I mean, I almost like this too, like have you ever noticed when it comes to Christmas time, you might as well just forget the expensive gifts, just give them a cardboard box and they're cool, all right? That's what I think about. Not only have they been captivated by this mud puddle, they are ankle deep in it. They're ankle deep in the puddle and they're on to the creation of what, you remember when you did this as a little kid, what did you do with a mud puddle? You didn't just play in a mud puddle, you made what? You made mud pies, right? That kid is not even interested in the greatest thing that lies just on the other side of that sand dune. And so what do you do in your good parent or grandparent and uncle voice? Oh, you just calmly try to explain to them. To this mud cake child, there is something so much better that waits on the other side of that sand dune. But no amount of convincing will get them out of that mud fortress they have locked themselves into. And you know, I think in, in much the same way, we have done the same thing with God. He so often offers us ocean experiences, but all that we want are mud puddle moments. All because we think we know better. For the next two weeks, like I said, we're going to talk about not so much just contentment, not so much thankfulness. We're going to talk about the search for happiness. Like, right? Everybody in here is like, yeah, that's, that's good. Tune me in. I want to be happy. Like, is that not a world that we live in today that everybody is tuned to that idea of I want happiness more than anything else? And I will do whatever it takes to get it. We search and we search and we search for more, we search for better, we search for bigger, thinking that in the process we will find nothing but happiness at the end of the quest. That really is the attitude of our age, and and I I love how somebody said this, I caught this line this, this week, is never before have people in our day and age had so much, yet wanted so much more. Right? Doesn't it feel like that? That we just I, we just long for things. And as soon as we get that thing, we're like, I just want more. I want the next thing. Discontentedness runs rampant in the world that we live in. We live in a world that actually, I think, breeds discontent. It's set up and it operates in a way that predisposes us to be disappointed and unfulfilled. We say to ourselves, I need more of this, whatever that this is. Things, money, time off, and we need less of that. Wrinkles, sagging, and any and all trouble and inconvenience. I think really when it comes down to it, all of our discontent in life can be boiled down into three categories. Guys, we either experience material discontent, Again, that's what I talked about. We want more. We want more money. All right? More of that. We want more of the next best thing. We also have relational discontent. I wish that I just had a better marriage. Or I wish I had a better relationship with my parents or my children or whatever it may be. Or I think oftentimes what happens to us is that we fall into what's called circumstantial discontent. I don't, I don't like my life. I don't like the way that my life is going. I wish that my life was better. In fact, any time that you hear the words better, more, next, nicer, it just tips you off that you're talking to someone who is incredibly discontented. And it's been said this way before, and I think it's so true, life is 10% of what happens to you, and it's 90% how you respond. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but let's be honest, the reality is that for most of us, the opposite is actually true. Most of us live that... As if 90% of what happens to us is what really counts. And we don't have much power in our response to what happens to us in our circumstance. But I think in what we're going to read this morning from the Apostle Paul, it's all about a shift in perspective. And I don't want this to be like a sermon like, if you just just like change your mind, all right? It's just like, it's all in there. No, but it is. It's all about a shift in perspective. And for us to live a 10 1090 life, that's what I call it, 10% is what happens to us, 90%, and the majority of it is really how we're going to respond. How are we going to react to what happens to us in life? Paul gives us the most radical perspective shift possible. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. I know that said Romans 10 up there. Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar section of scripture, but like this, to me, I read this, and I've read it over and over and over this week, and I've read it over and over in my life, but it's such a simple idea, but it's so profound at the same time. In fact, I I really think this, and I don't want to overstate it, I try not to overstate things, but if we could grab a hold of this one concept, I think it would revolutionize your life. It would completely and radically change everything about your life if we could just Grasp what contentment is all about, and we could live contentment. Is living contented easy? No, but it's powerful. And Paul says this starting in verse 10 of chapter 4 How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. Again, he's talking to the Philippians. He's actually writing from a Roman jail, which, if you kind of keep that in your mind, it makes the words all that more impressive. I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Then he says this, not that I was ever in need. Not that I wanted more, not that I wanted better, not that I wanted the next thing, not that I wanted nicer things. For I've learned how to be, where's that word right there? Content. Content. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or with little. And then this is, and this is very interesting to me, this is to me Paul's most famous verse that he ever wrote. Philippians 4.13. Now we usually call it the weight room, verse, right? I could do all things through Christ. It's not that, guys. It's not about that at all. This is very interesting. I want you to stop at this moment before we read Philippians 4, 13. I want you to notice where this falls in Paul's writings. Paul has written three chapters and started chapter four, and then actually what we're reading here is, is kind of like the P.S. to the letter. Oh, by the way, by the way, I don't need anything. I'm content in everything that I have, and he says in his P.S., in his, oh, by the way, the most famous line that he ever wrote in his letters. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Again, the context of where Paul is writing this from, it makes the words that he says all that more Amazing. I mean, this is a guy who is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, is on house arrest, and he has the audacity, he has the boldness, he has the faith to be able to say, guess what? It's all good. Can you guys say that this morning? It's all good. That, that's, that is what Paul is saying, in essence, right here in these few verses. Guess what? I mean, here, do, we know enough about Paul... And Paul says, guess what? I've been beaten. I've been tortured. I've been starved. I've step, slept out in the cold. I, he gives a list, a laundry list. I've been beaten several times, he says. And if there's anybody who could say, "I, I you know what? I can't stand my life. I kind of want a better life. It would have been Paul. Paul could have wanted a better life. He could have had a better life. But he doesn't. And he's writing from this Roman jail to the church that he fathered in philippi and he's, it's just amazing to me that he comes out with these words paul's words unlock the difference between happiness and what he refers to as a secret he calls it that here in philippians 4 a mystery and the mystery is contentedness and the fact that paul refers to contentment as a secret is a dead giveaway that true and godly contentment is something that is contrary to popular opinion. And it's completely missed or forgotten in the grand scheme of human wisdom. See, I think all of our life, all we say is, I just want to be happy. Just want to have some peace. And what Paul tells us here in Philippians 4 is you are completely missing the boat if all you're living your life for is Happiness. For example, we're taught in this world that to truly achieve peace, to truly find happiness, we need to wiggle out of any difficult situation that we find ourselves in. Scenarios that cause us discomfort or inconvenience or are not personally satisfying or fulfilling to us. But what does Paul say in Philippians 4? I want you to look at it again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, the second part of it, he says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's a full stomach, or whether it's empty, whether it's plenty, or whether it's little. but that line there, I have learned the secret of living in every single situation. We are so conditioned to think that more is better. I also think sometimes we're convinced of this too, that, that the less is the way to go. We need to sell it all off, and we just need to take on a life of poverty. And that's the way to go. First part of Philippians 4:12 he says I know how to live on almost nothing but I also know how to live with everything. So it's not about having plenty, it's not about having little. It's not about being rich, it's not about being poor. Paul is a student of learning to be satisfied in plenty and want and that is so important to know. I don't want you to miss that. Guys, contentment is not something that we will in our life. Like if we just go home today, if we just sit down and say, I just want to be more content. We we don't. We don't work that up. We don't will that up in our lives. We don't seek contentment. Contentment, do you notice what Paul says? It's a learning process. Twice Paul uses that word learn in just these few short verses. It's about an attitude and it's about a posture of the heart. Ultimately, the problem of a discontented heart is a conflicted and a sinful heart, which produces a wrong attitude and a wrong focus. And here's the deal. If it's true that contentment is actually a learning process, let me ask you this question this morning as we get going. What is the area? What are the areas of your life that you are most discontented with? And how can you learn to grow in your contentment? Because I guarantee you every single person who is sitting here this morning has some measure of discontent in their life. And again, we just can't go home this, to this afternoon and we can sit and be like, this is it, these are, this is the area, these are the areas of my life, and guess what, starting tomorrow, I'm working on it. No more discontent in my life. It doesn't work that way we learn it. We patiently learn it and build it into our lives over time. Contentment doesn't come naturally to a heart that is bent away from God. And if that's the truth, as we read Scripture, and this is the way that I read Scripture, that every single one of us, even if we are in Christ, have a heart that naturally wants to bend away from the things of God. It naturally wants to bend away from the goodness of God. And what we need better yet, what we are hopelessly dependent on, is God's strength and his grace and his mercy to change our hearts so that we can learn the wisdom and discipline of contentment in any and all situation. Guys, a contented Christian, and that really is a very important distinction because it's my belief that unless you have committed your life to Christ, you really cannot truly experience contentment. Guys, a contented Christian is the one who best knows God's sovereignty, his power, his rule, and his reign, and we just rest in that. You want to know how to be content? Just just know that. God has got this. And just rest in that. And some of you are sitting there saying to yourself, well, Ryan, you don't know what my life looks like right now. But here's what happens. We, we, we all have a present reality that's sitting right in front of us. A life that we're living, a life that may not be really great and rosy and wonderful to us right now, but there, there's a greater and overall reality that God is sovereign and powerful in all things. And what happens when we replace our present reality, and this is what I believe Paul was doing in Philippians chapter 4, is he was not seeing what was right in front of him, but he was seeing a greater reality that God really had this and was in control of things. What it really gives us is security. What it really gives us is peace. What it really gives us is contentedness. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 talks about this idea of being secure. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Don't love money. I'm just going to substitute in here because he's talking about money specifically, but... It says don't love money, but I'm going to say don't love anything more than you do Christ. Be satisfied with what you have. Be content with what you have. Be content with the situation that you find yourselves in. For God has said this, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Isn't this what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4? Aren't these the very words that he's talking about in his situation that he finds himself in. Pastor Stephen Furtick says it this way, and I think it really gives clarity to Paul's words. It really gives clarity to this idea in Hebrews chapter 13. He says this, this is so important. Write this down. Our situation does not dictate our satisfaction in life. I don't care what's in your life right now i don't care what kind of bad health that you have i don't care what your finances look like i don't care what your marriage looks like i do care that god is bigger than all of that i do care that what situation we find ourselves in does not mean that we cannot be satisfied that we cannot be content let me rephrase it and say it this way what's in front of us does not determine our happiness. I want you to clearly hear that this morning. We are bulletproof. We are ironclad when it comes to the situations that we face in life or the scenarios that we long for more or better or bigger because guess what, guys? All we need is Christ. That's it. That's that's like my big point for this morning. That's that's Paul's big point in Philippians chapter 4. Go on searching all that you want for what you think will make you happy in life because you will never find it until you are looking for Christ. And again, those words that he says there in Hebrews chapter 13, I am with you, says it all. Because, guys, I am with you is all that we need in life. Don't settle for the love of anything in this world, but be filled by the overwhelming, all-consuming love of God. That's what Paul means when he addresses Timothy in his letter to his protege. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10. through 10, Let me get to it real quick here. 1 Timothy 6. He's talking about this idea of contentment. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all we brought nothing in us with us when we came into this world we can't take anything with us when we leave it so if we have enough food and we have enough clothing catch this please what are the two things that paul talks about what are the only two things that he really brings up guess what if i have a little bit of food if i have a little bit of clothing on my back cool i'm good if we have that let us be what content But people who long to be rich, the people who long for more, the people who search after happiness all of their life, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, for the love of, of more, for the love of better, for the love of nicer, for the love of next is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Guys, run from the lie of more and better and towards the sufficiency of Christ. When you truly have Christ, you don't need any more of that. Craig Rochelle, a pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma City, says this, until Christ is all you have, you'll never recognize that Christ is all you need. Guys, contentment is really, really great, but it makes no difference if it makes no difference in us. If it doesn't root itself deep within us and it doesn't get lived out in our lives, I could sit here and talk about contentment. I could come back next week and talk about contentment some more. But unless it takes root in your life and you really believe it to be true and you live it out in your life, it doesn't make any sort of difference at all. So the question becomes this, how in the world do we fight against the constant desire for more in our culture of excess? And I think that we fight an increasing desire for better circumstances. We fight an increasing desire for better things with more things, with three attitude and heart and mind shifts. And I want you to be able to write these down this morning. And they're very simple, but again, lived out there, so very powerful. Actually, again, the secret to contentment is... So very simple. Contentment comes from Christ. That's it. But it's born out in three distinct attitudes and postures of the heart. And I believe that what Paul is trying to teach us and point us to in Philippians chapter 4, but to kind of add a little bit of more of a foundation to what Paul is talking about, Psalm 37 says this, and I ran across this verse this week, and it just totally kind of blew my mind. Because again, like I was saying, I, I think it's exactly what Paul is talking about. Psalm 37 verses three through five, say this: "Trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires." That's such an important verse. And the lastly, he says, "Commit everything that you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you." first thing I want to talk about this morning is, is trust. We talk about this a lot around here, and it really is, to me, the foundation of the Christian life. If we don't have trust, if we can't trust, it really limits us in a lot of things, and so what we need to do is we need to be trusting in all things. Guys, do you believe and do you know that God has designed us to trust Him? It's built into us, but it's often obscured by worry and, and fear and doubts and self-preservation. Because we're made to trust whatever knowledge and wisdom and strength that God provides to us, and He does. He graciously gives us so many of those things—strength and wisdom and knowledge. But the trust really comes out when that, comes in when that runs out in our life. And for us to truly trust God, we have to trust His knowledge and His wisdom and His strength when ours reaches its limits. You and I struggle with being content primarily because of our trust in God. It's a trust issue all the way around. You and I are not struggling with being content primarily because we're dissatisfied with a relationship or because our job is unenjoyable or because we have a stubborn spouse or because our bank account is low or because of our living arrangements. We struggle with contentment primarily because we fail to trust God. That's why discontentment surfaces in our lives in all the ways that it does. Because deep down, we struggle badly with trusting God and believing that God is what's best for us and He always does what's best for us. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord and to be at His disposal. And so when we talk about contentment and We mean that somebody who is content, who is gospel-centered in that way, one who has no higher ambition than to be at the Lord's disposal. It's one who says this, The aim of my life is for God to do with me whatever He wills. And then he finishes his quote by saying this, Because He is my Father, and I trust Him. Do you realize that the very first sin in the Bible was all about contentedness? Adam and Eve broke trust in the garden. And the rest of redemptive history, the rest of what we read in Scripture, is all about God seeking to undo that catastrophe and to restore that trust that was lost in the garden. Someone has said it this way, and it's such a a keen insight. Beneath every single sin is the failure of, to believe that everything I need, I already possess in Christ. So not only is distrust and discontent the beginning of all sin in human history, it is the source of every other sin that we engage in. Guys, chasing after and searching after something or someone that you think will make you happy, but will never fulfill you or satisfy you, is just a recipe for disaster. And we have this impulse in our life. I call it the want impulse. I want, I want, I want. The want impulse is a breeding uh, ground for nearly every other sin. And in James chapter 4, the writer talks about this want impulse, and he says this. He says, what's causing the quarrels and what's causing the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And then listen to this. You want what you don't have. And so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Do you hear the list of, of sins and inconsistencies that, Paul, that, that James writes in there? It's a breeding ground for sin, this want impulse, this discontentedness that most of us carry around in life. Guys, the search for more, the search for better is deceptive, it is dangerous, and in the end it is deadly, if that desire is left unchecked. That's why we constantly need to watch our heart. That's why Scripture calls us constantly to check our heart, to know the condition of our heart, to see if we are more or less trusting of God than we were yesterday, or the week before, or the month before, or the year before. Here's my challenge to you when it comes to trust. And it may sound really elementary, but I think it's actually pretty good stuff. Trust God in the small things. Just try that out. If you're like, hey, guess what? I'm not a trusting person, and overall, I just really don't trust God. Just take some small things in life and say, you know what? I'm going to trust you in this, God. And as you trust God in the small things, it makes it increasingly easy to trust him in the large issues of life that will inevitably come. And so checking our heart involves trusting in God, but as a psalmist tells us, it also, and we also need to check our heart by delighting in the things of Christ. To be content in the truth of the gospel. To be satisfied with Christ, and that's it. Guys, there's no need to crave or pursue anything else. Just be content in the truth and the power and the life of the gospel. Don't grasp for things that are only temporary. Take hold of the only thing in life that is eternal. A contented Christian is one who has come to know Christ but presses on to know him in ever deeper ways. A relentless pursuit to know him more and to make him known. Some of us, I think, are just so satisfied that, hey, guess what? I have Christ and I kind of know him at this level and that's all I really need in life. It's not the goal of life. Our goal is to press in to pursue Christ in everything that we do and to know him more because guess what you're never ever going to exhaust everything that you could know about christ it's a lifelong pursuit do you want some sort of search in your life don't search for happiness continue to search for christ jeremiah burroughs was a preacher back in the 1600s and he often spoke on the concept and the idea of contentment and he said this about delighting in christ He said, a soul that is capable of Christ, a soul that craves him and is satisfied in and by him, can be filled with nothing else but Christ. Because the lure of something more has a way of lulling us into the trap of chasing things that ultimately do not matter. The wrong things. Chasing after one more drop of this or one more drop of that, always seeking after better, always seeking after more, is a little like drinking seawater. You know what happens when you drink seawater, right? It kills you dries you out, it causes you to die inside. Discontentedness is a lot like that. We shrivel up, we dry up when the true source of our refreshment is right in front of us the entire time. Do you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well in John? The Gospel of John chapter 4, Jesus says this to the woman at the well about this idea of refreshment being right in front of her. Starting at verse 10. Verse 10. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And guys, why we, why we will frequently encounter scenarios and circumstances in life that do not call for happiness, I don't want this to be a sermon that, hey, guess what? everything's going to be rosy and wonderful and great in life. It's not. We can always, always rejoice and delight in the Lord. The search for happiness isn't really about happiness at all. The secret and end goal to all of our searching in life is found in contentment rejoicing, and joy. I want to go back to Philippians again, chapter 4. And I want to go a little earlier in the story, and I want to read some verses here, just a few, and this is what Paul says. Again, a man who has experienced the nastiest stuff in life, a man who is in a Roman jail, and he says these words, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Listen to that again. I want to read that again. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand, which exceeds happiness that we search so hard for. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And I love how he ends this up before he goes into his P.S. that we we read. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything that you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be What is Paul saying there, guys? You have to learn and learn and learn and learn, and you need to keep putting it into practice in your life that God is good. Christ is all you need. And then the God of peace will be with you. Guess what he does not say there? Then the God of happiness will be with you. The God of peace will be with you tuning our hearts to the good things of God involves trusting His goodness even when we may not be in a good situation. He's delighting in Christ above all the other desires of our heart or that this world offers. And in the end, it means this one thing. We can trust all we want. We can delight all we want, but we do not do this last thing. We have missed the mark. It means committing everything. Everything. To the one who has given everything for us. You know what much of our problem is when it comes to contentment? Much of it would be solved and we would not have a problem if we could just truly open our eyes to see what God has already given to us. In a culture where many are focused on what they don't have, contentment calls us to focus on what God has already given us. Paul ends this letter in verses 18 and 19 and he says this. At this moment, I have all that I need. I mean, stop for a moment. If we could just take that one little line right there and we could put it into our lives and it could really be real and lived out in our lives, do you know what would change? I, say it with me, I have all I need. Say it again, I have all I need. That I need. It didn't just stop there. He says, I have all I need, and he says, I have more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then verse 19 is like the boom moment. And this same God who takes care of me, who has given me everything that I need and more will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in who? Jesus. Jesus Is all we need. Guys, it's obvious that Paul is not just paying lip service to this idea of contentment, but that he is committed to it and to the one who has sustained him in all things. Tim Keller says it well when he says these words. If grace has really changed our hearts, please listen to this. Grace has really changed our hearts. We don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. More, better, next, nicer cannot buy contentment. Our searching for, our striving for happiness cannot and does not bring contentment. Our willingness to get rid of it all and pursue poverty can't provide it. Contentment isn't satisfaction with where you are or what you have or what you do not have. But it's trusting and wholeheartedly believing that God's peace is greater than the problems we face in this world. And in the constant tug of war, to get more things or to get rid of more things, we miss the bigger picture and we find ourselves ever further away from our quest for happiness. And guys, that's because happiness is elusive And guess what? Happiness is a lie. It's a false hope. Happiness and contentment are actually worlds apart. Happiness is a God that we will use any means to get to and to appease. And you know what happens in life? And I believe this to be true. Very few people actually pursue contentment like Paul tells us here in Philippians chapter 4. Because you know what it does? It forces us to stop all of our searching. It forces us to stop all of our striving and our struggling and to just simply be comfortable in delighting and trusting and committing ourselves to the one who is uniquely worthy of our praise. See, I believe that we're a people who just constantly want to try as hard as we can to get something. And contentment just says, I'm just going to sit here and be. Because what if Christ has done in my life? And unlike happiness, contentment is not something that we search for. It is an attitude of the heart. And our heart can only be made right as we rest in the truth that Christ is enough. I want to close with this thought as the band comes back up here. And then I want to ask a question to close here as well. I came across this idea and this line. Someone has observe that, ironically, in many ways, the best-kept secret when it comes to contentment is that to achieve it, we must be full of discontent. You catch that? It makes no sense, right? For me to be contented, I actually need to be really discontent. The contented Christian is the most satisfied and fulfilled person in the world, and yet the most unsatisfied person in the world all at the same time. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7, I once thought all of these things were valuable, more, better, next, nicer. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Because everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else in life, counting it as garbage. Listen to this. So that I could gain Christ. Let me ask you this question in closing this morning. What are you afraid to be content about in your life? Because you are afraid, and I believe this is honestly the holdup with so many of us, is content does not mean complacent, by the way. But we think this about God, that this is what happens. If, if If I am content with the situation that I'm in and the situation is not great, the circumstance is not great, then guess what will happen? God will just leave me there. But so what? So what if God does leave you there in that situation? Because guess what you have in that situation? You have Christ. And that is all that you need. I love this song that we are getting ready to sing, and it simply says what we've been talking about all morning, that Christ is Enough, and so I really want you to tune in this morning as we sing these words. As you stand with me, and as we sing, that Christ is actually enough.